Hi, Carmina. Hi, Patch. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Jeepney Trip, a podcast where we explore everything fun, weird, and in-between about the Philippines. A word about our sponsor. Jeepney Trip is sponsored by Soulpack, a functional shoe accessory bag. Its patented design stores your shoes on the sides of your backpack and provides an ergonomic and hygienic means to carry your shoes. Now you can travel hands-free, have more space inside your backpack, and keep your dirty shoes away from everything. Be sure to also check out their string bags and backpacks for more options. Visit thesoulpack.com and enter Trip 10 at checkout for a 10% discount. Now back to our show. Today's trip is a combination of a round trip and a holiday trip. On a round trip, we talk about historical facts and things that connect us back. And on a holiday trip, we talk about a specific holiday observance, festival, or celebration. And since it's the Lunar New Year this month, we decided to combine an episode about that holiday and the history of Chinese influences in the Philippines. This year, it will be celebrated on February 1. What's unique about the Chinese New Year is it is based on the Chinese lunar calendar, as opposed to the regular New Year's that's celebrated around the world, which is based on the Gregorian calendar. Either way, we are so lucky because we get to celebrate these two New Year's. (laughs) That's true. And in fact, in the Philippines, the Chinese New Year is one of the most anticipated holidays. While there's only about 5% of the Chinese community in the Philippine population in general, the Chinese New Year is one of the most awaited events in our country, most especially so in Binondo, which is the oldest Chinatown in the world. I was so surprised to hear that. I didn't realize that Benondo is the oldest in the world. That's so impressive. It was established in 1594, and Benondo is where the Chinese New Year happens. What are some of the traditions that we practice during the Filipino Chinese New Year? What about the very famous red envelopes? Yes, a lot of people look forward to that. Of course, because there's cash inside that envelope, right? (laughs) So yes, so one of the things that we practice during the Filipino Chinese New Year is there are these red envelopes filled with money and they're given by the elders to their children every Lunar New Year. This is supposed to bring good luck to the receiver as well as the giver. So, Patch, did you know that the red envelope is based on a Chinese legend? Ooh, what legend? There was a demon that terrorized children when they slept on New Year's Eve. And that's why parents would try to keep their kids awake all night to protect them from that evil spirit. But there was one year when a child was trying to keep awake and he was given eight coins to play with, but unfortunately he fell asleep. When the demon appeared and he was about to terrorize the child, the coins produced a powerful light that drove the demon away. 
And that's because the eight coins were inhabited by the eight immortals in disguise. And that's how that practice started. In addition, there's the popularity of wearing red. Right. So for the Chinese, the color red is one of the luckiest colors. It's believed to bring good luck. And that's why people wear the color red from head to toe. The other thing that we see a lot during the Chinese New Year, similar to the Western New Year, is the fact that there's a lot of fireworks, firecrackers, because this is supposed to drive away evil spirits. And the other tradition would be the lion and dragon dances. Mm -hmm. So the dragon is a powerful symbol in China, and they are also symbols of wisdom and fertility. So both the dragon and the lion dances are always seen during the Chinese New Year in some form of parade. And it's accompanied by a lot of drum beats and cymbals. All of this is supposed to bring good luck. Just a couple more traditions that we love to see during the Chinese New Year is, of course, it has to do with food, right? Mm -hmm. So we have the tikoi and the round fruits. Tikoi is one of the most popular treats during Chinese New Year. It is made from this sticky rice, which is ground into flour and then mixed with water, sugar, and it is served by slicing it up, dipping it in egg, and frying it. And it's uh, believed to be a symbol of a better year to come. So, Patch, you mentioned earlier that there are about 5% Chinese in the Philippines. And while that number is true, if we look back to history, the Chinese has really been influential in the development of the Philippine culture. That's an important point, Carmina. In fact, I think we should talk a little about the Chinese influence in our history. Yeah, it really goes way back. And it's really surprising that there are, again, not a lot of references how deeply the Chinese influenced us. But there are just so many irrefutable facts that can't be denied. So, Patch, the Chinese taught the Filipinos all sorts of things. They taught us how to mine, to work with metals, how to manufacture gunpowder. And in fact, some of our vocabulary is even derived from the Chinese dialect Hokkien. For example, sunki, which means protruding tooth. <laughs> yes. Hikao, meaning earrings. Mm -hmm. I saw Ate, which is eldest sister. Yes, which is surprising to me. I thought that Ate was originally a Tagalog term. So is Kuya, eldest brother. There's also Hia, which means shame. Mm -hmm. Another one is Bakya, which is wooden sandals. And so is the word Apo, which means grandchild. Mm -hmm. This one surprised me, the word Dao which means he said, she said, they said. I didn't realize that that was derived from Hokkien as well. Dao. Dao. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a plethora of words that relate to food, like bachoy, 
which means pork and soup, bihon, which mm-hmm. is the rice vermicelli, bitchin, mm-hmm. monosodium glutamate. <laughs> There's also tokwa, which mm-hmm. is tofu. You know, I was surprised to learn that mami is not really a Chinese word or a Hokkien word. Mami comes from Ma, which is the family name of this very famous Chinese. Yeah, Mamun Lok. Mamun Lok, yes. <laughs> yes. Do you remember that place? I loved eating there. So if we go way back though, Patch, the Philippines has been attractive to the Chinese from way before the Spanish colonization. As an example, in 1405, the Ming Emperor Yong Law attempted to install a governor of Luzon, but it failed. In spite of this, though, the Chinese continued to trade in the Philippines, and that's why the Spaniards found a community of Chinese merchants already living there. Right. So, in fact, after the Spanish arrived, and in relation to what we now know as the galleon trade, that brought an increase in the Chinese population because they became the tradesmen. They supplied the tailors, the cobblers, all of these important professions that supported the Spanish population, the Spanish colonizers that were in Intramuros at that time. I read some texts that described them as both being needed, but also being feared, unfortunately. Right. And I also read that while it was the mission to convert the natives, the Filipinos, the Chinese population were really not included in that targeted population that they were trying to convert. Before the Spaniards came, there were already a lot of intermarriages between Chinese and Filipinos. But when the Spanish colonized us, the only way that that could continue is if the Chinese men became Christians. And so that gave rise to two types of Chinese classes in the Philippines, the Chinese mestizos and the Chinese Filipinos. A Chinese mestizo has a Chinese father and a Filipino mother, because in the Chinese culture, identity can't be passed down on the mother's side. It's only on the father's side. So unless the woman marries a full-blooded Chinese or a Chinese mestizo, the offspring cannot be considered a Chinese mestizo. And then on the other hand, the Chinese Filipinos are those ethnic Chinese who live in the Philippines or claim Filipino nationality, but have not been Christianized or not intermarried by virtue of being converted to Catholicism. So Patch, the Chinese Filipinos or the ethnic Chinese were unfortunately confined to an area called the Parian. Right, which was in the outskirts of Intermuros, the walled city. So then you could see that the Spaniards were really trying to separate the ethnic Chinese from the rest of Philippine society back then because they needed them, but they were also afraid of them. Do you know, Patch, that there were actually three Chinese massacres in Filipino history. It was so sad to read about them. So why don't we talk about them? Yeah, so it's a little bit painful, but we'll get through it. The first one is the Massacre of 1603. 
So this started in 1593, 10 years before, because the governor general back then, Das Marinas, conscripted 250 Chinese to row his ships to conquer the Moluccas Islands. But the Chinese staged a mutiny on the ship. Then, 10 years later, in 1603, Chinese ships arrived in Manila because they claimed to have heard of a mountain of gold. And this made the Spaniards suspicious because they thought that it was just some kind of ruse that the Chinese were playing so that they could invade the Philippines. At that point, the Spaniards were really already very paranoid of outside forces trying to invade the Philippines, one of them being Japan and the other being the Chinese. So they implemented a lot of really harsh rules and restrictions on the Chinese because of their suspicions. And that actually led to what was called the Sangli Uprising. Sangli is the reference to the Chinese back in that period. And Patch, Spaniards, Filipinos, and Japanese together massacred 20,000 Chinese. Oh my gosh. Even after this happened, though, Chinese immigration didn't stop because, of course, both the Chinese and the Spaniards were profiting from this arrangement because of the galleon trade. But that first massacre set up a really bad president because in 1639, again, economic hardships led to another Chinese uprising. And of course, the anti-Chinese fears, they won out again, and another massacre came about. And then the last one was in 1662. That one was a little bit more out of the ordinary because it got stirred up by a new Chinese sea lord who threatened to conquer the Philippines from his base in Taiwan. And again, because the Spaniards feared sympathy with this new warlord, they again massacred the Chinese. I mean, it's painful to have to talk about this, but I think it's also very important that we don't forget what has happened to our Chinese brothers and sisters throughout our history. I agree. Okay, so some interesting facts about the Chinese during the Spanish colonial period. So, Pat, you mentioned Benonda earlier. It was created in 1594 because the governor general, Das Marinas, had to adhere to a royal order to expel all the Chinese. But again, because they were very heavily reliant on their services, he created Benondo to be within easy access of the walled city, as you mentioned earlier. Binondo became the Chinese culinary center of Manila. Do you want to talk a little bit about Mamon Luk being one of the oldest restaurants in existence in the Philippines today? Sure. Mamon Luk is traced back to a Cantonese migrant from Guangdong. That's his mm-hmm. name. He used to be a school teacher in China, but he was struggling financially in China, so he moved to the Philippines. 
Right. Legend has it that he was looked down, essentially, by the family of the woman that he loved. And so he migrated to the Philippines in search of fortune so he can later hopefully return with wealth and eventually marry the love of his life. That's so romantic. No, I didn't read that part. He originally sold pancit you know, the vermicelli noodles. But there was so much competition in Binondo that he experimented with other recipes. And that's when he came up with his version of the chicken noodle soup, which eventually became known as the Mami. Unfortunately, he didn't patent that name. So, of course, a lot of imitation noodles that looked and tasted the same popped up. But nothing beats the original, right? Of course. And he also is credited with introducing the shopao and the shomai to the Filipino That's cuisine. Right. And those dishes are still very popular in his restaurants. As a testament to his marketing genius, the way he popularized shopao and shomai is by giving free samples. And he didn't really discriminate to whom he gave those free samples. He gave them to prisoners, nurses, lawyers, reporters, teachers, and even politicians, including some Filipino presidents. So that strategy helped make the Shopao and Shomai popular amongst all social classes. So apart from Mamun Lok, do you remember Ong Pin? Yes. So Ong Pin was the street that had all of the really great Chinese restaurants. And there's a restaurant itself that's named Ong Pin. And it was named after the businessman and nationalist Roman Ong Pin. The other popular Chinese food item that we talked about earlier, the tikoy, also started in Binondo. It was popularized in the Philippines in 1912. Chua Chu Hong put up a stall in Ongpin that sold traditional Chinese delicacies, one of which was the tikoy. And I don't know if you recognize this name, but it is now the Eng Bi Tin Chinese Deli. And it has many locations in the Philippines. Right, right. <laughs> it's still very popular today. So another popular spot, is the Sincerity Cafe and Restaurant on Yuchenko Street. So it's very famous for its fried chicken. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so they've been serving up that dish for decades. And a lot of, you know, locals will point you in the right direction if you ever find yourself in Binondo. Another interesting thing that I came across, Patch, was the evolution of the Chinese names in the Philippines. So the Chinese mestizos were known to evolve their Chinese names. So, for example, the full name of a Chinese father could be T. Hang Ki. So T is the last name, T-E-E, and Han Ki is the first name. The child of that person might decide to create a new name that just makes all of that into one full last name, which is Tihanki. That's how the last name Tihanki evolved. And then there was the romanization of the Chinese names into forms like Yuzon, Limkao, Limkauko, and the like. Those were just last names and first names that were linked together. 
There's also a slew of Chinese names with the suffix ko, which in the Chinese Hokkien dialect meant elder brother. So someone's Chinese name might be Yap Tinko, meaning Yap as the last name, Tin as the first name, and Ko being the older brother designation. This explains why there's many Filipino names that tend to end in ko, like Sechanko, Tantoko, Tanchanko, and the like. So, Carmina, I was curious as to what are the most popular surnames among the Chinois or the Chinese Pinoys. And I came across the list of names. Okay. First one is Tan. Mm-hmm meaning ancient. So this surname is the most common in southern provinces of China. And since the majority of Filipino Chinese population has its roots from that region, there's a lot of the Chinois with that surname. The second one would be Dizon. Mm. The meaning of Dizon is second grandson. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's apparently the 12th most common family name in China. So a lot of Chinese Filipino immigrants who arrived during the Spanish colonial period had that surname. They were all second grandsons (laughs) of someone. (laughs) Well, apparently, yes. Okay. The other one would be Lim. It is the 18th most common surname in China. Lim is a combination of two adjoining symbols in Chinese culture. So it's wood and forest. There's also Sison. Mm-hmm. Sison means fourth grandson as opposed to second. Is there a third? Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure there is. But it's not as popular. It's not as, as popular as the second and the fourth. That's right. <laughs> okay, there's Chua. Mm-hmm. It was once used to refer to an ancient state of the same name in the Zhao dynasty. The other surname that's pretty popular is Ui, mm, yeah. right? Which refers to the color yellow. The other one is Ong, mm-hmm. and it means king. Mm. Yap which means leaf in modern Chinese. And then there's Go, and that surname traces its roots back to the ancient Wu, which is the present-day province of Jiangsu. So, Patch, we have been historically shaped by our Chinese mestizo heritage. And that's because the Chinese mestizos were more numerous Just to give you an example, in the mid-19th century, there were about 240,000 Chinese mestizos, but there were only about 7 to 10,000 Spanish mestizos. Later in our history, the Spaniards, they implemented this divide-and-rule mentality because they started becoming afraid that the Chinese mestizos who were really growing in number could be allied with the native Filipinos, or as we were called back then, the Indios, to revolt against the Spanish. And so they implemented this philosophy to make sure that there was that divide. Right. And it's not just the numbers. Also, the Chinese mestizos, they were gaining wealth. That also was contributing to the fear of the Chinese mestizo population. They also assumed 
a lot of important roles in economic, social, and political life of the Philippines. Maybe we can mention some of these figures in our history. We should start, first of all, with our national hero, Jose Rizal. Mm -hmm. He has Chinese heritage. One that I want to mention up front is Thomas Pinpin, who is credited for bringing the printing press to the Philippines. Tomas Pinpin published books that spread Catholicism throughout the Philippines. That was a big Chinese contribution to the Philippines on behalf of the Spanish. There's the first Filipino saint, Lorenzo Ruiz. Gomburza, Father Mariano Gomez, Father Jose Burgos, and Father Jacinto Zamora. For those who need some reminding, they were credited for inspiring racial and national consciousness when it comes to the secularization of the clergy. And there's also Mother Ignacia de Espiritu Santo, who is the founder of the first Filipino congregation for Filipino women. And similarly, in the field of religion, Jaime Cardinal Sin. Other prominent figures were Sergio Osmeña. Ministers Carlos P. Romulo, Roberto Ongpin, Arturo Tanco, and Supreme Court Justice Claudio Tihanki. There's also Ferdinand Marcos, president from 1965 to 1986. Benigno Aquino, who was his famous mm -hmm. rival, also had Chinese ethnicity. And so does his wife, Corazon Cuanco Aquino, our first female president, right. right? And I'm sure we're forgetting so many more who have been influential in shaping many facets of our culture. Carmina, so from names to our food to our language, there is so much Chinese culture ingrained in what we call Filipino culture. There's really so much more to how rich the Chinese influence has been, and we hope this episode inspires people to find out more. That's our episode. We hope you join us on our next trip. Oshasha! Ingat! Thanks for listening to Jeepney Trip with Carmina and Patch. Logo design by Fred Agkawili. If you want to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever all fine podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear from you, so please rate and leave a review. Follow Jeepney Trip on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a question, email us at jeepneytrip at gmail.com. <laughs>